I'm Audrey Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and you're listening to Fifth Emission. One of the clearest examples of how American society has been flipped upside down is with our favorite pastimes, sports. From Little League to baseball home openers and college tournaments, it's all canceled, and it's not clear when or if sporting events will be allowed to resume anytime in the near future. When sporting events do resume, they'll likely look very different from what we're used to. And today, The Chronicle is launching a series of stories about the future of sports. Joining me to talk about that reporting is columnist Anne Killian. So, Anne, um, I saw a tweet very early on in this crisis, and it said, Please, for the love of God, will somebody put a sport on television so my boyfriend can stop talking about his sourdough starter? And I keep thinking about that all the time. Why why does it matter so much to us that sporting events, which seem kind of insignificant in in the sense of a global pandemic, why does this matter so much? Well, you're right. I mean, I mean, when you're talking about death and illness um, and economic ruin, sports is pretty far down on the list. But it is a huge business. Um, The American sports world accounts for $71 billion annually. Um, So that's a big part of our economy. But also sports in many ways is just a sign of normalcy. And I think, you know, when we're all shut in at home, not being able to to do what a lot of people like to do when they're shut in at home. You know, people find excuses on Saturdays and Sundays in the football season to be shut in at home, to not have sports to to watch uh, really makes you realize like that it is this big part of our life. Um, you know, the top uh, 20 of the top 25 rated television shows last year were all sports related and the other things were live things like the Academy Awards. So, I mean, it's just, it's, there is this huge uh, appetite for it. And um, we've seen in the few things that the boyfriend could talk about that have been sports related, they've gotten record numbers. You know, the NFL draft was held virtually. This um, 10-part series that ESPN is doing on Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls teams is getting record ratings. The WNBA draft, which barely is a blip on our radar most years, got great ratings. So anything that's even remotely sports-related is is being sucked up by a, a captive audience. What are you, you watch more sports than probably anyone I know <laughs> by, by <laughs> far. What are you, do you watch, what are you watching during this time period? Um, I'm watching Ozark <laughs> and Friday night. <laughs> Actually, I'm watching Friday Night Lights, which which gives me a little bit of a um, sports, uh, you know, feeds my sports uh, addiction. But yeah, I mean, in you know, in some ways, for those of us who watch sports for a living, it's, um, dare I say, a tiny bit refreshing <laughs> to not have to watch it. But it's just, it is weird, you know, especially this time of year. I mean, I know you're a big baseball fan. It's it's kind of the background of our of our lives, you know, a baseball game. And it's, so it seems very odd to be in May and to not have any baseball and and to not even know when we're going to have baseball. So it, it's very, um, like I said, I think sports is is just a sign of, of normalcy. And that's, um, I think, one of the reasons there's enormous pressure. We're seeing it from the White House. We're seeing it, you know, from all all sorts of sectors of of society putting pressure on sports to reopen. But um, 
as one of the people I talked to said to me, you know, they they can't afford to do it in the wrong way and they can't they can't become the nursing homes of the future, you know, that spread where this disease spreads wildly. And and that's already happened. Um, one of the key factors that has been pinpointed in the in the outbreak in Italy, which, you know, of course, was for a time the deadliest in the world, was a Champions League soccer game that was held in Milan. And 40,000 people came and they all went back to their little town and they all started dying. And the game was a, between an Italian team and, um, and a Spanish team. And the Spanish team went back to Spain and they st- started testing positive. So uh, they've called that a biological bomb. We saw that... Um, a uh, UCSF uh, professor uh, said that it was probably a good thing the 49ers didn't win the Super Bowl because that was just as the d- disease was starting to to ne- what we know now was starting to make an impact in the Bay Area and the prospect of thousands of people crowded onto Market Street um, to watch a parade could have been a really deadly moment and um, you know that's the thing it's it's hard from this vantage point to imagine you know, 90,000 people crowding into a, a college football game. It just, it. I don't know, you know, there's a lot of questions about how sports are going to come back. I, I love your column on this where you, you spoke with a psychiatry professor at UCSF who says, you know, essentially sports are a communal event, which I never really thought about until we couldn't go anymore. I never thought about how much I miss my section at, you know, Oracle Park and the people we don't really know. And then also the people we've known for a really long time and that we exchange Christmas cards with. It is kind of like this bonding identity thing. And when it's not there, it makes this loss of human interaction feel even more acute, especially if you're really into doing something like going to baseball games. Yeah, I think I think uh, music and sports are the two things that really bring people from all walks of life together. And I would argue that sports maybe, you know, brings more different kinds of people together than, you know, deadheads are all going to go see the, you know, a a deadhead type band. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's it's definitely something that we miss. And, And it's funny because, you know, one thing as this crisis unfolded, I think the NBA shutting down abruptly on March 11th was the biggest indicator to a vast majority of the public how serious this was. And, you know, without a national policy in place, it's almost like the NBA became the de facto national policy because they, you know, they're they're all across the country. They had a player test positive. They went back and realized that within the 14 days before that, he'd played I think seven different teams and been in six different cities, something like that. And, and so they had to shut down completely. And I think that was just such a big eye opener for so many people who until that time had thought, Oh, it's in China or, Oh, it's just in Washington state or, Oh, it's just in nursing homes. And all of a sudden, you know, when, when this multi-billion dollar league just shuts its doors, it, I think it was a real serious wake up call. And I think, you know, someone said to me um, that I interviewed for the, for the series that, you know, maybe sports can, can do it right and show us how to get a kind of a a semblance of normalcy back because, you know, sports is going to be one of the, the, the things that requires people to come in close contact and how they come back is, is going to maybe show the way for, for other businesses. 
Well, let's start with the NBA shutdown because it, you know, I think for me personally, uh, the Warriors game where Steph Curry returned, where I, I was at that game, I saw you at that game. Mm-hmm. That is the last normal thing I really remember doing <laughs> before <laughs> before the current shutdown, before we all decamped to our houses. Does the NBA's um, very conservative approach, especially for that time, does that mean they're going to continue to be like that? Or are you getting a sense that as they get closer to what would have been the playoffs, that there's a lot of itching within the sports organizations to reopen? Well, there is. And so that's the balance. And, and um, you know, people like uh, John Schwartzberg, who is at Berkeley School of Public Health, um, and Dr. Fauci, you know, the, the scientists are trying to say to temper everyone's enthusiasm. But, you know, people in their own personal lines of work and maybe in sports more than others have blinders on. You know, they don't they don't really they think they can be an exception or they 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 don't really want to see you know what the the big issues are and and you know dr fauci has said you know the virus is going to be the determiner of of how things come back um you know everyone's trying to figure out the right way the nba has been talking in general terms about creating some sort of like biosphere in in las vegas which of course you know, is desperate to fill up those hotel rooms that are just sitting there empty, um, you know, where it could be self-contained and maybe, you know, you could have the playoffs, how how that, ha- you know, the playoffs. I mean, we know for the last five years, the playoffs start in April and they end in, in the end of June and they go on forever and ever and ever. I don't think you could have those kind of playoffs. So maybe you have just a shortened playoff schedule. I don't know, but they are very desperate to get those playoffs um, because they have a you know huge amount of revenue that comes in through their television contract, and and you know they want the players to play, and and um, so they they are they are thinking about that. But no, it it won't be like they open the doors and turn on the lights, and it's going to be back to business as normal. There's there's no chance of that. I'm speaking with columnist Ann Killian about sports and the coronavirus and what can happen in the future. And when we come back, I want to go through the various sports and how they're reacting to it. We'll be right back after this. So before we went to break, we were talking about what the NBA might do. And you mentioned a very strange sounding biosphere to keep them all contained to do the playoffs. Um, when I speak to some of our local sports officials, they seem to be looking to the NFL season. So what is the NFL saying that they want to do? Well, the NFL is um, they're in a great position because they have the luxury of time. So they can see how this plays out um, for the other leagues that try to start operations somehow this summer, whether it's baseball trying to, to start a an 82 game season in July, which they're talking about, um, and, or the NBA just having playoffs. The NFL is going to be able to sit back because just because of timing and take a look. But the other thing is the NFL is keenly aware that there are predictions of a second wave of virus in the fall. And um, so they can't, I, I don't see how you can open these giant stadiums and and expect to conduct business as usual, no matter what Roger Goodell 
likes to believe. I mean, they've they've put out nor- uh, memos saying they expect to have a normal season. And I just I, I think anyone who's paying attention has a very hard time seeing how that could happen. Um, but the NFL, you know, the NFL is a made for TV product by and large. Um, you know, it's it if if they decide to play without fans, um, they're going to get still get gigantic. Organic ratings. Um, I know that the Miami Dolphins are one team that have actually taken a look at how they could socially distance fans and their stadium, Hard Rock Stadium, holds 65,000. It's where the 49ers played in the Super Bowl um, in February, which seems of several million years ago. Um, and they say that it, their capacity would be reduced to 15,000. So that's just weird. You know, 15,000 people in a giant football stadium. I don't know that people would be all that eager to actually have that experience. But I think um, at least for the rest of 2020, I don't I don't really see how fans are going to be able to come into games um, in any big numbers because they just with the predictions of another wave of virus um, without a without a vaccination with, you know, in many parts of the country, testing is still difficult. I mean, you're going to have to have hundreds of thousands of tests just for athletes to be able to play. And I think, you know, that could be really bad optics if not everyone is getting testing, um, you know, reliable testing on a, on a regular basis, you know, you and me and everyone else, we know you don't want all those athletes to have access to something that the general public doesn't have. So testing, 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 just like with everything else about this, um, restarting the economy is that's, that's pretty much the biggest, the biggest thing to get, to allow people to either fans to watch or just, I mean, we're talking about contact sports. There is no closer contact than, than the NFL. Um, you know, they are sharing each other's saliva and, and sweat and, and body parts all the time. And, and, uh, they are going to, you know, they would spread the virus. So you have to make sure that there are no people testing positive who are taking the field. And what do the players unions say? Because we we have had some players not only get coronavirus, but in uh, I think it was the A's minor league system, some people have died from it. So those are obviously extreme and and very rare cases. These, you know, men and women who play professional sports or even college sports are, you know, extreme (laughs) in extreme good health. But what do the unions say about protecting people and will they want to go back? Well, I mean, I think they're going to want to go back. Um, everyone wants to go back and, and start um, producing the the things that bring in the revenue. But I think that they're going to be really, yes, they're going to fight very hard. I mean, and, and you know, we, we've seen it with the CTE. I mean, leagues always say they put their players' health um, as a top priority, but that's not always true. And and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the players' union uh, fights for, for safeguards. And also, you know, there's already looming a battle um, about salaries, givebacks. Um, you know, they – with Major League Baseball does not have a salary cap. The, the leagues that have a salary cap, you know, that's a backwards uh, way of – of fixing salaries, they they base it on the revenues of the year before. So the NBA and the NFL could have um, big. I mean, the NFL is different because they get most of their their money through um, their most of their revenue comes from t- their television contract. 
Um, but the NBA is much more dependent on ticket sales, so their salary cap will be affected. Major League Baseball is super dependent on ticket sales, so revenues, you know, they have zero revenues coming in right now. And and certainly some high-profile players um, like Clayton Kershaw and Mike Trout have expressed skepticism about how they're going to be kept safe, quarantined, if they're not going to be able to see their families. You know, a lot of them have little kids or, or babies on the way. I mean, it's just there's a lot of issues that the players union will be will be um, they'll, they'll be talking about. Yeah. But but also these contracts have, you know, a catastrophe clause called I hope I pronounce it correctly, a force majeure clause, which, you know, in the um event of something unpredictable happening and and a losing games or you know a hurricane wiping out your stadium or something they have these clauses in the contracts where they can they can basically break the contract so i think everyone's you know really unclear about how this is going to play out are there other economic consequences that teams are facing i mean could teams go bankrupt that seems like an extraordinary thing to even think about but is it possible I think it is possible that they that they could. Um, I mean, there's still going to be a lot of rich people in the world, and having um, owning a uh, owning a sports franchise is still a super status symbol. So I think that um, some owners could be forced to sell. I mean, a really interesting thing is is what's going on in Las Vegas with um, a team that we formerly covered, the the Raiders, and their move. I mean that that stadium located in a county that's more dependent on tourism than any other place in the world. And they don't have, you know, revenues coming in. Now they're going to have all that tax money going out. Mark Davis is not a deep pocketed owner. So he's one owner who could, you know, be in some serious financial situation, even with this wonderful brand new stadium. And, you know, Roger Knoll, who's a, a economics professor at Stanford who I talked to, he specializes in sports economics, and he's long been a skeptic of of using any kind of taxpayer money for, for stadiums. And he, you know, there's another huge stadium opening in Los Angeles. Um, it's supposed to open in September. I mean, are these stadiums going to be, you know, the white elephants of the future? Are they are they going to be looked at as relics that, you know, of a time when, when 80 thousand people wanted to cram together into a stadium are those days over forever or are they just over temporarily i mean it's 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 really interesting to think about how much money has been spent in the last well i i would say in this century on building these giant palaces and i'm at least for the time being they're kind of obsolete the final thing I wanted to talk to you about is is college sports, and I guess to a lesser extent, you know, amateur sports in general. I know my neighbors were looking forward to their varsity baseball year that got canceled. What's the lesson for college sports? Well, college sports is really interesting because it's kind of dictated by conference. The, the NCAA shut down the NCAA tournament, which is a huge moneymaker, the basketball tournament. Um, so that basically meant a billion dollars that would not be going out to schools. Um, so there's going to be all sorts of consequences, I think. Um, you know, obviously in places like the South, the SEC conference wants to play football. They want to be full steam ahead. Um, 
Gavin Newsom is is casting doubt that there will be large gatherings in California. So what does that do to the Pac-12 um, if, you know, four of their teams aren't allowed to play? Um, it's it's just it's very um, sporadic and, and going to be different all around the country. And, and but what I do think it means is there's going to be a lot less revenues coming in. There's going to be contraction. There, we've already seen a couple of schools say that they're dropping um, some non-revenue sports like wrestling or men's soccer. Um, there's going to be a tricky balance with uh, with um, Title Nine. You know, um, trying to balance that. Um, if football isn't played in some places, football drives revenues and drives television contracts. Um, so there could be a, there could be some serious contraction in, in, um, college athletics. And, and sadly, you know, those players, one, don't have unions. They don't have, they don't have, um, you know, a collective bargaining agreement for their health. They don't, uh, they don't have guarantees about their scholarships. So, you know, one of the first ways to save money is to start cutting scholarships. And that is something that actually, I think, could happen um, next fall. And, and finally, do you think that this will play out long term in terms of overall interest in sports? I mean, I think we've we've had a lot of discussions in the newsroom, but also in my family about whether people will just forget about their Sunday afternoon ritual of watching football. Do you think that's realistic? I don't really think it's realistic. I mean, granted, I'm one of those people who has a little bit of blinders on because this is my livelihood and, and I, I view sports as, as something that binds people together, that binds our country together and is a very communal activity and, and civic pride and, you know, something that you share with your family members. Um, so I, I really don't think it will go away. And I think we're seeing that appetite. I mean, people are watching reruns of games, you know, things they already know. I don't get that at all. (laughs) I wish somebody could explain to me why they want to rewatch a game where they know what happens. I don't get it. It's kind of, I mean, some of them are kind of fun, like, you know, to watch um, historical games, like, uh, you know, to see Willie Mays in a Mets uniform playing against the A's in the World Series in the 70s. I mean, some things like that I get. But yeah, if to watch like the Super Bowl again that I just went to in February. I oh, God, <laughs> I didn't like watching it the first time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really. I don't think I want to watch that. But but um, I, I think what we're seeing, like I said earlier, was that anything that's even remotely sports related is drawing huge numbers. I think there's going to be a huge appetite when it comes back. Now, some people might have a different perspective of it and they won't consider it life and death. I think we're also going to see it consumed in different ways. I'm uh, writing a piece about virtual reality um, and this will be an accelerator of something that was already, you know, in the sports world, but not widely used. Um, so I think there's, I, I, I don't, I don't think any more than, you know, hearing live music or going to the Broadway uh, Broadway show is going to go away. I think I think those are just things we're going to yearn for as as a sign of normalcy and and we're going to welcome back in whatever form we can get it. Well, I welcome to the, the time I get to see you back in the press box, that's for sure. And thanks for being with me today. Thanks, Audrey. I hope I see you in real life sometime. <laughs> in real life would be great. This episode has been edited to remove an error. 
The Raiders' new stadium in Las Vegas was funded partially, but not fully, by taxpayers. Thank you to Ann Killian for being with me today. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.